So I wanted to talk about gratitude uh, tonight. Usually on the first night I talk about loving kindness, but I feel inspired tonight to talk about gratitude. And to begin with, to follow on a little bit from last night in the calling of our ancestors and lineage holders um, to join us in the room. And that the fact that the, we have lineage holders for so many thousands of years who both expressed the Dharma um, and took refuge in it and practiced with it in ways that that Dharma and the purity of it passed on from teacher to student to who became a teacher to student who became a teacher to student uh, um, or just more from communities communities who were practitioners and became arahants passing it on to communities who traveled and spread it to other countries just um, I feel that uh, in the same way a little bit about Mary Wollenscraft in, in the um, early 18th century who wrote, I really feel as women that we should have the vote and that we shouldn't just be related to as children. Just that vision and the purity of a vision that passes from woman to to woman to woman and communities of woman to community and how that that started even before her how beautiful it is and how deeply I appreciate how wisdom has traveled to us from so many different places and um, and it was uh, Levi who wrote, who read that poem uh, from Sappho. What year was Sam. that? Sam, Sam, <laughs> Sam, what year was that? Sappho. Anyway, a long time ago. <laughs> Sappho was a long time, in BC, yes. So a long time ago. And so how beautiful, just to begin the appreciation of our different lineages. Leslie just acknowledged partly one of her lineages and we all come from lineages both that were difficult and also some aspects that were really beautiful that have um, flowed through us and become part of the stream. So just again at the beginning I bow down to the lineage that's living um, in this room and our, our ancestors who have carried it to us. Hmm. And so I just want to tell one story about Ruth um, because uh, stu uh, a student of mine I invited to come down here to practice uh, uh, um, and be here during a retreat 
and we came in and everyone in the room was walking around with a, their meditation pillow on their, on their head. And the student turned to me and said, what are we walking into? <laughs> and um, then she had us turning around and walking around each other and she would admonish us because she would look at someone and say, I can tell you're not being mindful enough. You're just getting into having fun. Be mindful. And it was an amazing training, just totally different from being silent and quiet and, and um, immediate in the transmission. And I, um, I was just talking with a friend and she said, Ruth was eccentric and amazing, she didn't use the word eccentric, was a beautiful and a forerunner as one of the first women Vipassana teachers in this country. And, and I, I, she had an amazing practice and I am a very poor, really, honestly, a, a poor lineage holder. Um, but nevertheless, nevertheless, I sit here as an inheritor of that lineage and I, in, as I'm talking about it, appreciation, I can't begin my Dharma talk of appreciation without expressing the deep gratitude I have to her as my teacher. So, and then the other aspect that I wanted to express deep gratitude for was the tradition of dana. Because for those of you who've um, practiced in monasteries, um, at least in the monasteries I lived in, we worked as lay people. We worked, but so did the monks and nuns, but we worked the hardest. And, um, but we did have in 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 the times that we worked, we did have practice times where we could practice, and that was for free. And and the institutions, the monastic institutions, and all the teachers in our lineage, in the Theravada lineage, have never ever charged for their teachings. That is so radical. That. Every hour of every teaching of every year of the hundreds of years that in this lineage no one has ever charged for their teachings. I think that's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, and I have a teacher, Sony Rinpoche, and he charges a lot of money for his retreats, partly because he's supporting nuns monasteries for nuns in Tibet and also in um, Nepal. So, and I, I, I believe he works absolutely with integrity. I mean, I've been in his house and I've practiced in his monastery and it's clearly that the money is, is being held in the wisdom of Dharma. And I love that money in our lineage as teachers is never an issue because you can't ever get like really rich. You don't. 
you do in this country you do not get really wealthy and rich teaching the Pasana insight meditation. And we live on we live on this incredible relationship of wherever the community is touched, the teacher is supported. And that's what the teacher lives on and continues to teach. And that's there's something so beautiful about that. I mean, not only does it not it it means that people can come to the teaching and just pay for the bare minimum or not anything at all and they still receive the teaching. I, I, I think that's like, you know, thinking about uh, ending colonialism. This feels like one expression of it, that, you know, especially in the center, we never turn anyone away who wants to come. I think that's so beautiful, and so I wanted to express deep appreciation for the building of a culture in the way we're doing that together here. And um, so, uh, so gratitude, gratitude for the lineage of teachings, gratitude for dana as an expression of the way purity holds those teachings in place. And then just to talk about gratitude as a practice, as an intentional practice. So um, this is the um, this is the uh, tri this is what is said about the practice of gratitude from um, Robert Emmons, who I've never heard of before, but one of the world's most prominent gratitude researchers and speakers. <laughs> has found that a short and simple gratitude practice has far-reaching effects on both our emotional and physical health. In an early gratitude study, Emmons and McCullough asked hundreds of individuals to either record things they were grateful for, record hassles from their daily life, or simply record any events or circumstances that had affected them. And then there's like, you know, big, uh, there was a, like a lot of the, where the research took place, etc., etc. but I'm not saying all that. In a series of studies with hundreds of participants, they found that those who had been randomly assigned to gratitude conditions reported more happiness and joy, experienced fewer symptoms of physical illness, spent more time exercising, were more optimistic and satisfied with their lives, reported increased positive effect and decreased negative effect, were more likely to offer emotional support to others, felt an increased sense of connection with others, and even slept more hours and with better quality of sleep each night. Not bad. <laughs> So in um, so what personally as someone who has an aversive personality and for those of you who are new to the Dharma 
the um, the Sudhimaga, which are the commentaries of the Buddha's teachings, said that each person um, ha had one particular aspect that was predominant for them in their personality makeup. And so there, there are three <coughs> types of personalities. There's the greedy, there's the aversive, and there's the deluded. Until, of course, they're transformed. And so, to give you an example, if greedy, aversive, or deluded um, went to a birthday and Jacqueline answered the door, greedy would walk in and say, oh, wow, great music, and there's Janet and Alan, and I've been dying to talk with them, and, and so would just look at everything attractive. And of course, be moved to that. So I don't know if any of you are greedy, if you, or maybe if you're not, if you have greedy friends. But I have a greedy friend who's one of my best friends. <laughs> and whenever we make a date, you know, and and because she's busy, it's like you not always so often. She'll call me up and she'll say, "I just found this great movie we should go and see." And then this new restaurant opened, mm -hmm. and you know. Jane just said, why don't, it's just like everything is attractive and sparkly. And so she's super busy all the time because she's running. And even though she's, she is a, a, a devoted Dharma practitioner, it's very hard for her to find time to practice. <laughs> <laughs> so then the next person who walks into Jacqueline's party is the aversive person who looks into the room and says, there's only Ellen and Janet? Why aren't, there other, why aren't there more people? And how come there's just snacks at 7 p.m.? She should be serving dinner. And wow, that music is so loud. <laughs> so aversive people see what's wrong in a situation. And so we tend to be pushing people away. And I want my alone time. Don't come near. And, and um, we like things just ordered because otherwise all our version is triggered <laughs> <laughs> and then deluded stands at the door and says where am i whose party is this what's going on so when uh, the greedy personality practices it becomes uh, generosity and devotion faith generosity and devotion and when the aversive person practices, it becomes wisdom. And when the deluded person practices, it becomes equanimity. So those are the transformations. So we could see that actually gratitude is an antidote for all of these particular energies. And I should just say before I go on, that the reason we have these personality traits, we have all three, but one is predominant, is because according to these, um, this explanation, for many lifetimes we've been practicing the thing that is predominant. So for me, I, it makes sense to me because it's so easy for me to be aversive. I must have been practicing it a lot. Just that, like, this is wrong, and this is wrong, and this is wrong. So, and so the 
So it's lovely to have something named as, oh yeah, this is like the Grand Canyon of my personality, right? We talked about that before. And this is the work I'm doing this lifetime to, to climb out of that particular road, that deep, deep chasm of a road of habitual thinking. So, but appreciation then, it's lovely because for the aversive personality, it asks to see what's beautiful about a situation, right? So it's an antidote there. For the greedy personality, it, it asks for a renunciation in order for the heart to open. So instead of moving towards it to grasp something like, I want this, it's more, oh, here's something and I don't have to grasp it. So to ask for a renunciation, which is the antidote, of course, for greed. And then for the deluded personality, it asks for the focus. Like in order to appreciate, you need to actually know what's there and what's happening. So it's so for all energies, the practice of appreciation is a beautiful practice. And it and it brings us and it brings a, a lovely heart opening. I and uh, I think I think of the rounds of it because I I had a very complex relationship with my father, and um, anyway, in a moment, in a moment, I felt moved many years ago when I was training with Evelyn. We we part of the training was learning beadwork. I made this very beautiful beaded key ring and I gave it to him. And after he died, when we were packing up the house he and my mother were living in because she was moving to a uh, place for, for elders, um, I was going through his drawers and there was this very raggedy beaded key ring that had started to unravel that he kept. And I felt so touched that he had kept it because he was really a snob around things. Mm -hmm. And I had given him a painting and he had just thrown it away before. And I thought it was really a lovely painting. So um, I just felt so touched that he had felt touched by my gift that he had kept it. So um, the way appreciation happens often through our own generosity and, um, and the blessing of it. It feels like a blessing, appreciation, and it actually feels like it's so close to what we talk about mundane and sacred that the mundane feels more like an expression of the ordinariness of um, our minds in just the doing of things and forgetting that we're doing it. And then the sacred or the blessing or appreciation is this learning to relate with care and therefore appreciation to whatever we're doing and with whatever we're doing it with. And um, and so going back to going back to Evelyn, actually, she was amazing that way. She was like a Dharma teacher, 
in the care with which she did ordinary things. And it reminds me also of Deepama in that book that those of you who were here last week, I read that I, re I read um, from that book. And in it, a student says that one of her great, one of the great transmissions she received from Deepama was the way she hung clothes on the line. That everything she handled, it felt like she was blessing, you know? That everything was special and sacred. And, um, and, and maybe that story particularly came home to me because in part of my training here, we would wash things and hang things on the line and I would use a peg for one end of, you know, the whatever I was hanging up and then another peg for the other, right? And Ruth would admonish me and say, no, that isn't how you hang things up. You should, you should only use one peg at one end and then another piece of clothes on the other so that you save your wooden pegs. Mm -hmm. And so that because the sun here in the desert just like, you know, eradicates everything that you leave outside. And, and it was a small thing, but it was like, wow, to be mindful enough and to care and appreciate about wooden pegs, to appreciate the hanging of clothes and how we use wooden, wooden is that what you call them, pegs? Yeah, clothes, 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 clothes. Yeah, clothes, that's, we, in England I think we say pegs, clothespins. So appreciation as a way to bless what we're appreciating. And then it, then it, then we become, uh, uh, I don't know what you say, healers. We become healers in that way, right? because we're blessing everything we're touching and how we're relating to it. That's so beautiful. Um, and then, then to cultivate this open heart and to cultivate the connection with ourselves is actually to appreciate. Like the way Mindfulness knows the breath, right, coming in, lifting or touching the nostrils. And we notice that, and then we notice the out-breath. And as that, the mind softens and opens, it's amazing, isn't it? It feels like the breath is as tender as a new bud. It's so tender and so like full of life, each breath, and how it's coming into being as an alive thing, right? And then leaving in this, leaving and then this field of knowing and of this vulnerability and kind of newness. I, it's hard to give words. The, the newness of life in the sense that each breath is new and is there and known and is touching us and being touched. And how could you not appreciate that? It's, it's 
just so beautiful that we sort of, when that Thomas Merton says, and I just said, every retreat, you know, if you only knew how magnificent you were, you would kneel down on the earth and kiss your feet. But that, the possibility and how sometimes the mind opens to the breath in that way, right? Yes? I'm just getting these looks like, what are you talking about, Marina? <laughs> so, um, or any moment, it doesn't have to be the breath, it can be a step or the taste of food, that tofu with peanut sauce and I could taste the ginger and the garlic and it was like, wow, just that taste. And, and in, so we can see that the practice of appreciation supports this deep connection to experience and how in that way it, I understand why prayer becomes a vehicle in other religious traditions. Because that prayer and appreciation and giving thanks directs the mind to the experience mm. in ways that are opening the heart and bringing the intimacy that I referred to when I talked about the Zen teacher and his student, that this practice is about intimacy. So, um, right, and so this, this appreciation isn't the sort of appreciation or the kind of practice that disregards suffering and pain. It, in, it, it is deeply devoted to creating the container for acknowledging that, actually through the practice of, of appreciation and gratitude. So it's not like a, a it's not something in denial. And, um, uh, but rather to support the mind. Mm. In fact, there is um, the in the Eightfold Path, which is right understanding, right intention, right action, which are the precepts, right livelihood, right speech, and right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. Right as in what brings about liberation, not right as in morally evil, wrong. And the opposite of that. Um, in in right in right view, it's said that understanding that we are a bundle. Last week we talked about there not being an I, that we are a bundle of aggregates. That if you imagine um, a, a river, this is because I I just happened to glance on the book of any Prue's book on the on the history of uh, chopping down forests in America. She did a big book on what happened as settlers came and the combination of taking indigenous people's land and also cutting down all our forests. And so 
she gave these incredible descriptions of all this wood coming down the rivers. And the Buddha says that when when those well he didn't, but I'm saying it actually, that when that when the wood gets jammed up, that's like the aggregates, that's like the our constituents, that all our suffering comes from the constituents of our being getting jammed up. So our physicality, feeling pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, perception, consciousness, and, um, and intention, that our basic constituents are, are jammed up, and that that's what suffering is, this jam and tangle in the basic core of how we're constituted, the part that's in suffering, that's the part that's in suffering. And then I think of how, through appreciation and blessing, I, am, I can feel the unjamming of the logs, because that's the power of that practice. Or we could say of the practice of gratitude, that it, it unjams what feels constricted. And, um, and so in that sense, a liberating practice. I know many of you have heard the story before, but it really was an incredible transmission. So, going back to um, going back to Evelyn, it really was amazing because I and my partner Melissa at the time were going to go down to Mexico for six months and live on a beach, which we did, Tenacatita, which hadn't been built up at all so you could live on the beach there. And we were traveling down Highway 1 and we saw the sign saying Medicine Wheel Gathering and I thought it was about herbs and so I said, oh, let's, let's stop, let's stop. And um, so we stopped but it was, uh, it was an AIM festival and um, so it, it was, an, it was uh, a Native American Indian festival and gathering, and we were walking through it, and there weren't that many white people there. And Evelyn, we came to the end of it, and there was this big circle of people, and Evelyn was sitting at one end, and she had a pipe, and she was blowing. She, she must have just been doing the directions, because she was blowing smoke into the directions. And um, an older woman just made way for us to sit down. And there's a, a great story, but I won't go into it, of what happened there. But afterwards, after the circle, this woman came to us and said, why don't you come to Evelyn's? Just like that. And so we said, because she was amazing. Oh, she, she had amazing energy. We said, yeah, sure. We had no idea what it meant. But there were six of us, and we were the only like strangers to Evelyn. Everyone else was already a student of hers. There was someone in deep training, Red Eagle, who was training to be a medicine man, his wife, White Dove, and, and us. And we had the incredible blessing of being trained by her, just totally fortuitously. So we lived there. Instead of going down to Mexico, we lived in Evelyn's house, and got trained as pipe carriers, and then we went back. It wasn't just that, we went back and we went back, and then it ended up with a final ceremony. 
uh, where she prayed to the great spirits if actually we could be pipe carriers and the great spirits said yes and so I got my pipe from Red Eagle and I still have it actually in my bedroom. Um, why did I start telling you that? <laughs> Let's see. Oh, so anyway, so the first night, now I remember, the first night she was talking about gratitude and she turned to me and she said, what are you grateful for? And I said, nothing. <laughs> and so she took me by the arm and she took me outside and she said, where's your vehicle? And my vehicle was a dirty brown beaten up Dodge van that inside we had made into a camper like a bed and shelves for our stuff and 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 so we're standing outside this dirty old beat up Dodge van 76 1976 and she said is this your car and I said yes and she said does it have four wheels and I said yes and she said are you grateful for the four wheels? And I said, yes, I am. And she held me by the arm and we spent, maybe it was an hour, I don't know, going through every part of that car. <laughs> <laughs> and each one she would say, are you grateful mm. that your car has this part? Mm. And I said, yes. And that, that was a radical transmission for me. It was really beautiful, and it began my uh, my appreciation and gratitude practice. And I, I from that, from her training in particular, I say uh, I say prayers every day, and it always makes a difference to give thanks. And so it's become a deep it's become a deep heart opening practice for me. And I think I've mentioned to some of you that when I did a three month retreat at home, I did a three month retreat at home. I didn't see anyone for three months, and pe my students left food at the doorstep. And there were days when I really was like, "What am I doing here? What am I doing? I should end this. This is impossible." And um, and I remembered Evelyn. Evelyn came back to me. She died in, in the 80s, but she came back to me. And so for every day of those three months after a particularly difficult day, I did gratitude practice every morning and every evening for half an hour. So for half an hour I gave thanks. And in the beginning, you know, would be I give thanks for the Dharma, I give thanks for my health, I give thanks for uh, having a space to live in, and that would be like less than a minute. <laughs> and then it would be okay, and I give thanks for my house and my health, and then it was I give thanks for my armchair. I love sitting in my armchair. I give thanks that... I paint and I love my paintings. Like I hang them on the wall and I love my artwork. I give and then I would just go through everything, because she taught me everything in my house, which clothes I love, the breakfast that I have. And it became 
such a turning point in my retreat because it just opened the whole field for me and, and again created this incredible field of mindfulness for, um, for mindfulness to grow. So, you know, what a, what a beautiful practice to appreciate just the ordinary things that are, make up our everyday life. And um, and then for those of you, for those of you who, you know, have connected with indigenous communities, half an hour in the morning and the evening doesn't compare to the hours of prayer in ritual that happened. Because working with Evelyn and having some different elders come, we would be in prayer for hours, like before we smoked the pipe. We would be in prayer for two hours, giving thanks, just giving thanks to the two-legged and the four-legged and the six-legged and every aspect of life. And, you know, just being at the beginning of the training, I'd be like, well, let's get on with it, you know? <laughs> and, and, um, and, of course, the only way you could be in that environment was to surrender and so, I, 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 we touch on it a little bit as a community when we turn towards ourselves and give thanks for our effort and for our mindfulness and for our patience and for our perseverance. A little bit we're offering blessings for our being and our efforts. And that's beautiful. And in the morning, those of you who come to the morning, early morning sit, we offer prayers and matter of well-being to others, to the earth and to the critters. But it's such a small taste of how we could sustain that kind of relationship to everything all the time. And how that really becomes a deep and profound mindfulness practice. Um, and so appreciating, anyway, using prayer to cultivate appreciation. And then I thought it might be interesting to read what the Buddha says about blessings and how he talks about blessings. And so this is a little bit of what he said about blessings. Uh, right reverence and humility contentment and a grateful bearing, hearing the Dharma when it's timely, this is the highest blessing. Patience, humility when corrected, seeing practitioners and then discussing the Dharma when it's timely, this is the highest blessing. Self-restraint and holy life, all the noble truths in seeing, Realization of nirvana, this is the highest blessing. Though touched by worldly circumstances, never our mind is wavering. Sorrowless, stainless and secure, this is the highest blessing. Since by acting in this way, we are everywhere unvanquished and everywhere we go in safety, ours is the highest blessing. Here ends the Discourse on Blessings. <laughs>
And then um, this is the, uh, then in terms of appreciation and being reminded, being reminded through um, death uh, of what is really important. I thought I would read this. I don't know, for those of you who live in Portland, if you know Diana Saltoon, she's a writer and she lives there and a Zen practitioner and Robert Briggs was her husband. And this is um, what Robert Briggs' uh, daughter wrote about her father. Robert died on Friday, May the 29th, 2015. He didn't wait for the month's end or his next birthday on June the 11th when he'd turn 86. Perhaps he didn't want to be 86. Robert thought of his dad who died at 82, his sister, his mother, his dad dying at 82 or was it 83? Hold, how old am I now, he'd ask as I held his hand a week before he went. Still a kid, I'd say. No, I think I'm 83, he would say. What did it matter about his age? So many comments about him at his memorial, thoughts of others. I'll get them all together somehow, I said to myself. There was jazz at his memorial. Some members of his trio came. How Robert must have loved them turning out for him. Tim on drums, Andre on bass, young Ian on sax, and all his Portland friends who came to say something about him, an entertainer from New York, and Mark, a dear trusted friend from San Francisco, and yes, your own kid Hillary, were there in full force. I said aloud, it was a great celebration of your life with music, poetry, and stories, with tears, laughter, and joyful remembrances. We buried a third of your ashes in the veteran cemetery in southeast Portland. That too was quite a moving tribute. They placed a stone later over your ashes with the words, the beat goes on. Can't remember who actually thought that one out, Hillary, I think. She took a third of your ashes with her, leaving me the rest of you, most of which I scattered in the Pacific. There are still some ashes left. I can't seem to let the last bit of you go just yet, even though you remind me not to cling and to let go. And um, one of the uh, practices that the Buddha asks us to reflect on is the appreciation of life. And he says that being born into a human body is as rare as a ring floating on the surface of the ocean and a turtle coming up once every hundred years. And when that turtle would actually stick its neck into that ring. That's how rare it is to be a human being when you think of all the many sentient beings that are born. So the Buddha said that actually one of the highest blessings was to be born as a human being because it already means you have 
all these beautiful qualities inside of you, otherwise you wouldn't have been born as a human being. So you already, you've, each of us has been born with an inheritance. Okay, I had no idea how long, it, how late it was, so um, let me end then. Um, let me just see if there's anything. Uh, well, of course, I have a lot more to say, but I'll end because it's late. I can see some of you sagging a little bit. Mm -hmm. Your first day of practice. Right? This is a poem of appreciation I wanted to end with from Billy Collins. This much I do remember. It was after dinner, you were talking to me across the table about something or other, a greyhound you had seen that day or a song you liked. And I was looking past you over your bare shoulder at the three oranges lying on the kitchen counter next to the small electric bean grinder, which was also orange, and the orange and white cruets for vinegar and oil, all of which converged into a random still life, so fastened together by the hasp of color and so fixed behind the animated foreground of your talking and smiling, gesturing and pouring wine and the camber of your shoulders, that I could feel it being painted within me, brushed on the wall of my skull while the tone of your voice lifted and fell in its flight and the three oranges remained fixed on the counter, the way stars are said to be fixed in the universe. Then all the moments of the past began to line up behind that moment and all the moments to come assembled in front of it in a long row giving me reason to believe that this was a moment I had rescued from the millions that rush out of sight into a darkness behind the eyes. Even after I have forgotten what year it is, my middle name and the meaning of money, I will still carry in my pocket the small coin of that moment minted in the kingdom that we pace through every day. So I wish for all of us the blessing of taking up a practice of appreciation for our strength, for our resistance to the negative messages that are directed towards us, for our own unique, particular flowering as a human being, as queer, trans, non-conforming, bi, lesbian, gay, to appreciate that, to delight in it. To appreciate what blessings you remember.
Thank you.